What does it take to win? Hosted by track record founders David Carey and Scott Gardner. Ready again. Transforming your track record with leadership coaching. Inspired by elite performance from sports and business. On your ups. Side track from leading performers in sports and business to find out what does it take to win. Hello and welcome to the Track Record Podcast. What does it take to win? Each podcast, we're asking that very same question, and we love asking that question to leading performers in sport and business. And we've got two leading performers in their own world. Scott, who have we got? David, today we've got Claire Corazan. Round of applause, please. Yes. Oh, there you go. A previous uh, managing partner of Decoded in London, passionate, as we've talked about outside, about leadership, culture, neuroscience. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> and also a coach, Yay. which lines up our second guest nicely with three <laughs> coaches in the room. Andrew Tarver, uh, founder of Jigsaw.xyz, uh, former CEO of Capco and a bunch of other startups and, and, and elements within tech, future. Um, I really am looking forward to this today. And a huge background in banking, analytics, and now fintech. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Claire. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us on the uh, track record what it takes to win podcast excellent so first question i'm just going to jump in you guys know each other so how do you know each other <laughs> we work together ah. <laughs> so where, where did you work together how, how did you come across each well, other tava came on a workshop that dakota did really back in the early years um when we were quite a young startup ourselves uh, and learned how to code in a day and from the initial conversations, wanted to empower his teams at Capco and, uh, yeah, and get them to experience all the stuff that Decoded were doing at the time. So that's how we were uh, introduced originally. Oh, yeah. cool. Excellent. Was your experience the same or, or have you got a different story to tell? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's the same story. Um, it would be much more fun if it was different. Um, yeah, no, so recognition that the business that I was running at the time had a set of resources with probably um, skills which were becoming slightly redundant. Mm. Um, how do we take them down a digital path, um, allow them to understand how digital was going to impact the world in which they worked and their clients? And at the time, you know, Decoded had done a really good job of taking me on a simple journey. They explained that. Mm. Uh, and I thought it was a, it was worthwhile for the organisation to go through it. And since then, we've done lots of things together which have taken... Uh, other relationships, other clients, other companies yeah. that I've worked with down a similar journey of trying to t kind of take them into the, the next generation. Mm. And so you've moved on from that world, you've set up uh, Jigsaw. What's the, what's the purpose of Jigsaw? Go with where the name came from. So I probably to some extent, you know, some will call it arrogantly. I think I understand what the Jigsaw box looks like, the lid, i.e. what the, the kind of the future model could look like. But I also appreciate that the, the the way of executing it and bringing it to life is a, a number of different companies that need to come together. Mm. So the jigsaw puzzle pieces. And as you put those puzzle pieces together, what you r realize is some of them exist, so you can find them, uh, and some of them don't exist yet, and therefore you have to found them. Mm. So it's this kind of a mixture of 
building technology products that fit within this kind of tapestry and jigsaw puzzle of what I think the future state will look like. And to summarize what will probably your next question is, the future state is built around the individual. Mm. So the more you can learn about an individual, the more that you can understand the needs of an individual and what kind of drives them and uh, what's important to them and what they're fearful of, the more that you can help them with digital technologies to get what they need, mm. whether it be education, support, finances, anything. So that's kind of the, the what the jigsaw box looks like. Wow. And when you've got that um, or part of the jigsaw right now, presumably, um, how do you then use that to help your clients? Um, well, it depends who the clients are. So we, it varies. It used to be big companies being kind of the definition of a client. We kind of step back now and say there are there are multiple definitions of a client. It could be an M person. It could be my friend who's mm-hmm. running out of money. It could be a friend who wants to reskill and retrain. It could be a big company that wants to provide those services of either banking services or education. It could be an intermediary company who are working with big firms to consult and try and advise and take them on a journey. So everyone has a role within this new ecosystem, this new jigsaw puzzle. It depends what the role is and helping people better define what their participation is. Mm. Um, And so we work with a broad spectrum of big, small, um, I would say, I was going to say advanced, not so advanced. Um, (laughs) Well, I was going to say it a different way. Um, And, you know, big companies are sometimes held back by their history their learned behavior and find it very hard to change towards this new paradigm of an individual will be in control of their data and you know if you have a trusted relationship with them you can learn more mm. big companies are like well no we own their data and you know we're going to tell them what they want that's the old way of doing things yeah so there's a lot of changing the culture of the leadership to start to understand an individual will be more empowered the importance of data analytics messaging but also the importance of collaboration uh, and partnership rather than you know domination of one party or one institution. So it's a myriad of things you have to do. It's not just about building a bit of tech. Yeah. It's about taking people on a much bigger journey. And one of those, um, one of the, the foundational parts is tech. Yeah. And, and Tarvis spoke there about that, that kind of need to go from old world to new world and whatever that is and the importance of the leadership team to be able to to take that journey and Claire that was really kind of your niche to be able to take that leadership in to be able to give them a a view of a new world um, and allow them to be able to take that shift so what was it that you saw when done successfully those leadership teams were able to do taking people from fear and anxiety about the complex world that we live in, especially around digital technologies, Mm. demystifying what those complex things are in a way that's really palatable um, and helping to move people from that fear into a place of empowerment and confidence. Mm. Uh, The way that we did that Decoded was through experiential learning, um, through uh, giving context to how we've got to where we are today, putting technology into the palm of people's hands um, and helping leaders join the dots between their business strategy and also, you know, what the change means as a result of technology and actually bringing that startup culture into the corporate world and I think that's a lot of what Tava's doing as well around sort of showing organizations that there's another way it's mm. not, you know this is a new world that we live in now yeah and and what's when it's not done well what's some of the the drags you know we use the word drag quite a lot because it's a nice sporting terminology but there's behavioral drags there's kind of systematic drags what kind of drags have you seen that that uh, get in the way 
of yeah. those leaders supporting the organisation to move? Um, well, it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. And actually, scepticism um, that this stuff is, you know, not going to stay around. Technology is changing rapidly all the time. Yeah, and also having a fixed mindset rather than a growth mindset. I think an important aspect of leadership now is that constant ability to be curious and to learn. Mm. And almost like having a beginner's mindset every single day that you go into work where you're thinking, you know, I might not know all the answers, but I'm one, going to ask the right questions and I'm going to, you know, do what it takes to, to find out kind of what I don't know. And I think that's really important in terms of leadership kind of in this ever-changing world of mm. Mm. Which brings us nicely, leadership dot dot dot. Um, Tarver, mm-hmm. what what are some of the biggest lessons that you've um, experienced? And and the reason I ask that question and to give it context is that you have come from that kind of big corporate world. You've from a kind of finance point of view, you've you've seen the light. You've you've seen the top of your. Um, your, your jigsaw lid and, and you see the future as being this kind of tapestry of knowledge. But more specifically around you, what, what have you learned through that process as a leader? Lots of things. So would I change how I did things over the last five years to have an easier life? Most normal people would say yes and you know, my history is not something we'll go into today. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is I'm a, I'm a constant antagonist in the f- sense of I want to uh, stimulate change by pushing and prodding. Um, and I, I don't have the characteristics that Claire has just talked about in terms of fear. And there's an element of stupidity with that, which is you should have some level of fear because it stops you doing the things that maybe you shouldn't. But I... I have a very different fear threshold to most people. And as a result, I will take big risks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for all openness, because I think it's very important to provide context behind this, I'm bipolar. So actually I go through you know, moments of mania, which actually are characteristic of being very high risk. Um, I'm much more aware of myself around that, um, but I don't think it will change me. I actually I thrive in mania, mm-hmm. so the clarity it provides. But those, that risk allows me to disrupt what I would consider to be the biggest drag of big organisations, which is inertia. Mm. We make money the way we do it today. We may not yeah. make money as, as much as we did like yesterday, but we still make money. My job as a leader in those big organisations is to do what I did yesterday, not to do something different tomorrow. Mm. I firmly believe when I'm sitting in a CEO position of an organisation, my job is to disrupt the existence of the business I'm running. Everyone else is there to operationally run it. Mm. My job is to set the vision and disrupt that actually if we do this today, then what if we didn't do that tomorrow? Mm. Um, If we make money this way today, what if that didn't exist tomorrow? What would we be? Um, And I think that's the job of the leader, the CEO. I think the operational aspects is the rest of the organization. So from my side, that's what I do. Is it the most sensible way to keep a job for life? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, If you have a... Um, a parent company or a organization that sits above you that doesn't agree with that as a method uh, and an approach then I would warn you against it because the consequences can be significant mm. that's kind of why I run my own company now mm. um, I surround myself with people who are uh, different in their mindset and their attitudes to me so we're very heterogeneous 
I don't just hire people like me. That controls some of my risk taking. Mm-hmm. Um, I still take the risks, but sometimes they say, actually, let's do it a different way, or you know, let's let's make sure that we hedge it by doing this as well. But there's also got always got to have someone in a leadership position who will try new things, who will do different things, who will mm. challenge the norm and challenge that inertia. It's mm. a long way to answer your very simple question. <laughs> and and how do you get that balance between the what is essentially disruption um, without causing the uh, the threat state that we often see that that releases stress, that releases anxiety, that releases that fear that that Claire you spoke about. How do you how do you create that balance between disruption, change, um, not maintaining status quo, with this kind of sense of psychological well being that that people have a clear yearning for? Um, when you're going through a, a, a big disruption, there are there's some very obvious things you're trying to do and you do them in statements and you take that on, you absorb that fear because people come to you and go, you, you know, you're the, you're the accelerant in this mm. um, and you have to take that on yourself. Everyone else around you, they still come to work and do something they did yesterday. It's just maybe a little bit different. So it's nudges, it's tiny nudges, it's changes of directions. That, you know, they don't feel the discomfort. I'm the one okay, taking a lot of the, the pain at the leadership level for them. I have to insulate them from that. Their job is just nudgingly slightly different, slightly different, slightly different. I don't say one day you're coming in, the next day you've got to totally do different because people just don't deal with change. Mm. Um, the overall vision of within 12 months we will be doing something different because we will have moved you all four or five degrees towards where I want you to go, that just has to be managed. Um, some people want to hear about it and know they're doing that. Some people don't want to know they're doing it and will just appear at the, the destination and go, wow, it's different. <laughs> and that's about understanding different personalities. Mm. And you get it wrong sometimes, people, you know, you lose people along the way. But again, that's human nature. As in, you just have to be, you know, deal with, you're not going to keep everyone happy all the time. Yeah. So would you be an advocate or not of uh, a big company saying, right, we're going through a transformation program. And what we're going to do is uh, today is going to be completely different to you know what we're going to do in the future, and everybody's part of this transformation program. Would you advocate and promote that kind of messaging through a business, or will you try and kind of do it through stealth? I try and do it another way. Whether it's stealth, you know, stealth leads to suspicion. Okay. Because someone knows you're doing something, but they're not quite sure of what it is. I've learned that one the hard way. So I would say you do it openly, but you don't expect others to come on the journey with you until mm-hmm. it's proven. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that in the in the parlance of kind of the new world we live in, you know, spin up a new entity alongside the existing entity, try and run different business processes. Don't try and do too much um, cross pollination of staff because people can't get their head around doing those two different type of things, the yin and yang. Mm. Good example is Netflix. So when they built Netflix, everyone thinks Netflix is a startup. It used to be a DVD delivery company. And the way that they set it up is a brand new company that was doing the digital business, running in parallel with the business that delivered the DVDs and created 100% of the revenue. Mm. And none of, you weren't allowed to cross-pollinate the leadership. So they're all sitting there saying, well, we make all the money. Who is this team? We want to be involved. And they couldn't because it was so different. One was going to cannibalize the other. 
And running those in parallel, you learn about actually what works, what doesn't. And we all know the Netflix model now. Mm. Um, it was about learning about the individual, what they were consuming in terms of content, and then of the ability to build, you know, more bespoke content for the, the customers. Um, and that's a successful model. There are so many big organizations that have tried spin-offs, um, innovation pools, you know, all kinds of things which haven't worked. Mm. And the reason why they probably don't work is they're not taking it seriously. As in, if you're really going to do this and disrupt your organization, what does that look like? Mm. How much are we going to put behind it? It has to be sponsored by the leader. It can't just be a subunit that is, you know, 10 people with a 300,000 person firm yeah. with no real budget. Because the first thing that happens when results don't go well at the parent company is that the little innovation team gets killed. Mm. So I was much more of an, I, you know, I still you know, live on the, the belief that if you can set something up, which is external, has totally different metrics, isn't part of the organization, and runs in parallel to basically test and try and learn and you know rebuild the core asset of the parent company in a totally different way, or just compete with the core asset. Doesn't have mm -hmm. to you know build a better version; it can just compete. You're going to learn. Mm. May not be a success, but you're going to learn. And the whole point of this is learning. Mm. Tripping up, cutting your knees, cutting your hands, going okay, so I'll try again. Yeah. And and um, I was re reading a, a fascinating series of papers recently around resilience and how you create that kind of sense of resilience and what does it take to become resilient, uh, and that that terminology being a shock absorber comes up time and time again. As a leader, you are seen as the shock absorber rather than the one that ricochets mm. that stress and pressure through the organization. Um, and we've both seen organizations that, that are able to do that very successfully, which is almost like a lightning rod. The whole organization ends up worrying about something that perhaps the leadership really ought to be only worried about. Um, but also about how you create that resilience. So rather than trying to uh, create the bounce back ability that often people talk about when it comes to resilience, it's actually making them anti-fragile. Mm -hmm. So it's being able to learn and grow and almost kind of like a tree, being able to kind of uh, increase the layers of resilience uh, so that you're better able forever to deal with those, those issues and problems. So that was a fascinating kind of insight. Same question to you, Claire. What, what have you learned over the last... I'm not going to even define the period over the last little while. What, what are the big things that have uh, allowed you to to think differently as a leader? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I've learned, which I've um, which I've found recently, has been the power of the mind, actually. And I read a fantastic book, which I'm sure many people are familiar with, The Inner Game of Tennis, um, which talks not just about the game itself, but actually the mind and the conscious and the subconscious and how kind of um, those two can work together, but also can kind of work against one, one another. And, and I think that um, fortitude to kind of find the way through whatever it, problem that you're kind of faced with and then that absolute self-belief which comes from deep within is something that I've learned around um, sort of resilience as well. That, mm -hmm. um, you know, that you can, so long as deep inside of you, you can believe that you can get to wherever you're going to get to, even if you don't know how, that's the driving force, I believe, in terms of, um, in terms of that. And, and how do you add to that belief? So let's say that you're at 4% belief right now. How can you get it to 
24%. How can you get it to 94%? Yeah. What are some of the things that you've been able to do to, to generate that? Um, it's about stepping, stepping out of the comfort zone. It's about putting yourself forward for things that you don't think are possible. It's about feeling uncomfortable in those situations and just kind of facing that fear and moving mm -hmm. into it rather than moving away from it. Um, you know, throughout my time at Decoded, there's been many things that have been sort of obstacles along the way that we've had to overcome. And I think the more that you that you do that, that you overcome them and that you put yourself in that position um, to grow, the stronger and the more resilient you become in mm. those. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be a coach if I didn't ask this next question, which is if belief is a really important thing, what mm. is your belief about you? Oh, that's a great question. What is my belief about me? That I love to help people and I want to do everything that I can to, you know, serve others and get the best out of people mm -hmm. and be on a journey through change and know that I can do that in partnership in whatever avenue I'm faced with and also know that I can overcome some really difficult things and come out the other side even better than I was before. Mm. Yeah. Good definition of resilience right there. Uh, same question. What do you believe? I strongly believe that we can build a world that represents people's needs and personalizes around those needs using digital technology. And we can do it in the lifetime that I will be on this planet. And my passion is to do that across education, health, financial services etc mm. and the way I prove that belief or I get behind it is milestones mm -hmm. um, proof points so can I find a financial institution that believes in what I believe in can I find an education system department country that does the same thing a health company mm. um, startups investors governments and when you get people on and they kind of believe in what you believe in the 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 support is there, then you can start to prove to people that actually this is going in the direction. Mm. It won't go there at the velocity I want it to because I'm too demanding of myself. Mm -hmm. um, but they're the proof points that allow other people around you to go, wow, you're right. And I'm like, there's no wrong, there's nothing wrong in it. You've always believed that I believe the, the, the right thing, i.e. people have the, the, the opportunity or given the opportunity across all walks of life. You just didn't believe that others believed. Mm. And it's kind of interesting, the team who work join the company because they kind of must believe that we're going to do this. It's when clients go, well, you know, we'll go on the journey with you. We're a big organization yeah. that some of the, and it's not fair to say that the less sophisticated of the team need those proof points of big companies who I consider to be pretty stupid um, and falling behind shouldn't be the proof point. But that's the old world of proof points. Mm. So it's kind of like it's odd. Mm. to look at it that way I just know the world's moving towards it just because big companies buy into it doesn't mean with the proof point but to everyone else it kind of seems to be the proof point yeah and what's your next milestone what's going to give you added belief um interestingly I would say regulation regulation basically is what I've seen, I've seen to be very very important in driving this so some people on the podcast may have heard of GDPR um, GDPR is about personal data, consent of personal data, usage of personal data. That's really important because it's got a lot of companies you know, in Europe and in the UK standing up and saying, actually, we have to be compliant with this regulation. We have to do something different. Mm. Not because it was the right thing to do, but now we're being told we have to do it. 
uh, within financial services and you know that industry, open banking, payment services directive. This is about the ability to access data and move money on behalf of the individual through trusted parties. So regulation is pushing us towards what is the right thing to do at a you know, glacial pace. <laughs> um, but that is stopping the big companies going, I'm just not going to do it because mm. they have to. So regulation is it's, it's helping. It needs to go quicker. It will never will because it's government driven. Fine. But that's the encouragement that actually we're getting there now. Yeah. That is not an answer that I expected you to say. That's why I said it. <laughs> there you go. That's thrown you off your question. Yeah. It really has. Regulation <laughs> is the key to ensuring that uh, you're able to help create that world that you're looking to drive towards. That, that, that's a very cool... And, and is that almost that kind of... Uh, we spoke outside around your real desire to be able to create this kind of environment of aggravation, of change, of almost kind of stress and challenge to be able to find and, and help prepare the people that you have around you, knowing that you're also that kind of safety net stroke shock absorber as well. Mm. Do you see that regulation as almost playing a similar role in that it um, almost it kind of ensures that it doesn't slide back again. That, that progress, that sense of kind of ongoing journey is is almost kind of inevitable. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of see, so in one way, regulation is, is probably the only reason why we will make progress on this. And let me explain a little bit more behind that. Without the regulation, companies don't feel that they have to change anything. Yeah. So regulation, however slow it is, is going to force incremental change. I don't think it will be the, the catalyst that gets us to where we need to in my lifetime. Um, what's happening, though, is most smart companies look at regulation and then find a loophole in it. So regulation sets the boundaries. It's kind of how I grew up. These are the rules of the road. This is what you have to do. And now it basically what it defines is not the rules of the road, but actually what you can get away with, mm. the other things. So investment banking being my kind of background when I first started my career, investment banks are the best companies in the world at finding loopholes in regulation. That's why they employ so many lawyers to look for how do you get around this. This is what you said you have to do and you can't do, therefore we can do this. Mm. That's just an interpretation of the rules. Where that goes is if you look at the biggest companies in the world now, the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, they all exploit individuals. So they are basically hoarding huge amounts of personal data for their own benefit, for profit. Mm -hmm. Now, the regulations say in GDPR that data needs to be owned by the individual. It needs to be consented to be used. You can't sell it, etc. That's great because that's in Europe and the UK. So what did some of those big data aggregator firms do? Move their headquarters outside of a European jurisdiction. Why? They don't want to be caught up with that regulation. So people are going to avoid regulation. Regulation will catch up, but slowly. Those big companies will always try and step, say, a step ahead. Mm -hmm. They've got so much money. So saying regulation will push this is one thing. The other is there's other people out there who are just going to come up with a totally different paradigm, mm. which is it's your data. Yeah. So don't let Facebook create a profile of you and sell it, which is how they make all their money, or Google do the same. Um, Start a new paradigm where there's a different company that does similar things to those organizations, but does it in a way that is consented, that is representing the individual, that's allowing you to access what you need when you need it. That's what you have to do in parallel. One is, you, you know, the regulators are coming after you. They're not coming after me because I'm doing the right thing. Mm. They're coming after you, big banks, big data aggregators, etc., because you're doing the wrong thing and you're making super profits. Mm. What we've also got to do in parallel is start something which is the right thing and just see if actually people care. Now, 
what I found from doing all of this is people don't really care at the moment. You know, in my other half, I say to her, do you realize by doing this, this and this, Facebook have all this information, they know what you're doing, they're tracking you, they can sell you products, which is why your Instagram feed comes up with these things that you've searched for, because Facebook owns Instagram. She's like, I didn't know that, but I don't really care because I still get the pair of shoes I want. And I'm like, that's just naive. She's like, no, it's not, it's convenient. I said, you overthink actually how much that upsets me or you know, it annoys me. When you started to educate a bit more on the whole Facebook thing happened last year, she started to look at it and go, actually, what you're saying is true. And I'm like, I agree. And she goes, and now there's kind of a weight of people are getting behind. We should delete Facebook. We should stop doing this, etc. So those things will all start to help push mm. the change. The snowball is starting to roll. Yeah. Mm. Regulation will help direct the way the snowball goes. You know, public opinion will also be a massive demonstration of that. Someone's got to build the right thing. Someone's got to do it the right way. Otherwise, there's no alternative. Mm. I have to keep going the way I'm going. My job is to be out there and, you know, make punts at what the alternative should be, which industry will go faster, which which is the right thing to build first. How do you build that trust with people? Um, and I often, you know, reference the the kind of the fairground horse, horse racing thing. The horses will all go at different paces. You never know which one's going to win until the end. So what you have to do is make lots of bets on different types of things. How can I help with education or health or finance? Mm. How can I help the people get access back to their data? How can you empower them to then get the thing they need without exploiting? That's my passion. Mm. Um, how you get there, you just got to basically nudge, find out ways, fail, learn. But that's kind of just the summary of life, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Done. <laughs> End of. No, fascinating. And, and just to kind of hear how important the awareness of the environment is because mm. you know you're, you're a real expert of your environment uh, you can just tell being able to to kind of articulate in the way that you have and, and certainly in the world of sport some of the biggest breakthroughs have been able to be um, increase the awareness of your environment and Scott you, I mean you, you can talk from cycling's point of view that all of a sudden it's not just about lifting weights but you've got to be an expert in aerodynamics and and how do you figure that out and, and all that kind of world i mean it's it's fascinating to see how you can expand your horizon and guess what you learn a whole bunch of stuff yeah yeah completely and it's 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 asking the real question it's getting forward into what is it really going to take to win and not just, you know, so often as we see it, what can I do tomorrow that's a tiny bit better than today? And I think that's coming out really well is is that importance of just going into that future. And you don't know it. You can't predict it. You're not at a place where you can. But by hell, we should talk about it mm. and, and start to, you know, what are the hooks? What are the things that we all get excited about and then actually can we go on a journey together like the box and the jigsaw yeah all in our own way with our own special skills and and experiences and expertise to be able to to paint and build belief the things that are coming out confidence not be scared <laughs> you know and you know we're not all like tava um <laughs> we, we don't you know we don't all you know, not have that fear of the future and particularly when people's lives, livelihoods are reliant upon yeah. some of these big bets that are going to be made, then actually it's it's coming in there to, to build belief and confidence, mm. two big words that have come out. Mm. And Claire, I'm fascinated. So you're you're no longer with Decoded. You're, mm -hmm. you're kind of going through this... Um, um, uh, well, you tell me, where are you and... The ultimate question that 
I'm really going to ask you, which I'm fascinated to hear, is what world do you want to create for yourself? Like, it, you know, being able to design your own future and all that kind of stuff is aspirational, but it, it's actually very possible now more than ever before. So first off, just where are you now? But mm. but really, what's the what's yeah. the world you want to design? Uh, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I um, have got a little bit of time, uh, which means I am feeding my mind with lots of different things um, in terms of uh, reading tons of books, studying neuroscience and how that applies to leadership, uh, exploring lots of different avenues and kind of really sitting in the question kind of what's next. Mm. Um, and I feel very fortunate to be in that position. And it's and I'm inspired every single day um, at moment which is just a wonderful place to be what do I want to do in terms of designing my future such a great question I know there are going to be really important themes in there which I sort of touched on earlier which are around helping people in some way shape or form mm -hmm. I love that I love to help people grow and develop. Um, I think it's, and I guess that's the coaching part of me that's coming out around, you know, moving people from one place to another in a really kind of positive and meaningful way. Mm -hmm. That's going to be really important. Um, continuing to be fascinated and curious around technology. And that's why I love the stuff that Tava does, because I think, you know, Tava has an amazing ability to see into the future and to know what's kind of coming up next. And I think um, that curiosity around the world that we live in is also going to be an important thread. I love working with leadership. You know, you can impact one leader and that can have a significant um, impact across an entire organisation. So mm. what's going to happen next will hopefully be around um, something to do with that, because I think empowering people at the top to make those changes mm. in a very different way to how Tava does it is, is equally as important, I think. Awesome. Yeah. Um, there was something in there that... that um, is is really interesting. Scott, you touched on it. Claire, you mentioned it there. My question was around it, which is around this kind of whole future thing. Um, and certainly in the world of sport, we talk about the win being that moment in time that you want to pull yourself into, really identify what that is and be able to become an expert in that future win rather than your current world right now. Mm. Um, I, I've heard you being described as a futurist. <laughs> <laughs> as uh, as if that's a job title um what is it how how do you how do you help or how do you create the environment what information do you need in order to be able to to be that thing to be a futurist what what information what process how can you help people move into that future and describe it without doing that kind of whole um trying to predict the future thing like how does that work No one can predict the future. So the whole futurist thing is look at what's happening around you outside of the world that you live and work. So what's happening across different industries, different countries, and then say, how do you think that if that is starting to get, gather momentum, it's going to start to shift people towards it? So the big companies are shifting us towards a way of where we live our lives now. So they will influence the future. Mm. And how will that influence the future? Going to the question you asked and what was Claire was saying just before, my role in all of this is to prepare the next generation. And whether the next generation is my daughter, daughters, 
but certainly my two-year-old, how do I prepare her for a world that she's yeah. about to grow up in? Yeah. Mm. And I spend a lot of time thinking the education system doesn't work, the financial services system doesn't work, the way that she can get fair access to the things that she will need isn't there for her. So how do I be part of educating her on what she needs to be able to do and be competent at to live in a world that's moving towards whatever I would think it is? Then also, how do I, kind of at the second concentric circle, if she's the most important or they're the most important, how do I make sure my team and all the closest people around me are also prepared for that? Mm. Whether that be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, or in 10 years, or when they run their own companies. So preparing them for a, this is what the future will look like. The way that Jeff Bezos gets it right at Amazon is he doesn't say, what does the future look like and try and predict it? He says, what's going to remain the same in 10 years? <laughs> so with Amazon, people are going to still want to buy things and they're going to want it delivered quickly to their house and they want it cheap as possible. Mm. Those are things that are never going to change. So build a company around delivering those, not trying to predict what the future is going to be. The yeah. yeah. future is going to be the same. What, what are the similarities? How do I prepare my team, my family around those things? And then the third concentric circle is my clients. The people who I work with is the same thing. We are preparing your organization or your set of resources or the products that you offer or the services you offer to be fitter for the future. Uh, and the future will be more competitive. It will be more personalized. It will be more intimate. It will still be based on trust. Mm. It will still be about being fair. Um, there will be still similar consumption patterns. We're not going to turn into robots and just need oil. Mm. So it's kind of like how do you build a world towards what will be co constant and what we think will change and how do you therefore fit into that piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Mm. And that's essentially how I think. Yeah. One of the hot topics that always come up on these kind of CEO surveys is, you know, in terms of what they're worried about, their concerns, talent always comes up. I just don't have the talent to be able to, you know, deliver the services, have the know-how, disrupt, have the digital capability, whatever it is, in order to be successful. If you were to kind of break talent down and you're talking about preparing, whether it be your daughter, your team or the companies you're working with for the future, what is it within talent that you think is critical both now and in the future? Um, I think it's interesting. There's a couple of answers to this. A lot of the topics we've talked about today clearly link to talent. So I want my talent to have a strong belief. I want them to have confidence in what they do and how they execute. Yeah. Um, I want them to have the skills to be fit for the future to deliver against that. Um, all of those things you have to train them for. That's my responsibility. Mm. Um, and I, I, I laugh a lot at the, the big clients we work with who say, you know, how can you help me hire talent? You hire 5% of talent, you develop 95% of talent. Yeah. And that's the bit that they all get wrong, which is no one can spend the time and have the commitment to actually developing talent. Mm. And that's the, that's the future. Mm. It's about basically nurturing and growing and putting effort in and helping. And the reason why is you build a trusted relationship where that person's never yeah. going to leave you. Yeah. Because you've put so much into them, actually they become your best friend, not, not your work employee. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's hard when you talk to 350,000 person employee companies, they're like, well, we can't do that. Everyone reports to someone or mentors mm. someone. If it becomes part of your culture to de develop, to care for, um, to establish a trusted relationship with, no one will ever leave and your company will thrive. Mm. Um, yeah. 
And I think that's the bit that's kind of lacking from most of the organisations we work with, not because you know, I'm criticising, it's just because that's not that, you know, they're bothered about hitting the results that someone's put in front of them, and if they don't, they'll get fired. Yeah. That, that fear element. Mm. The, turn it around the other way and just say, I'm going to build a company that just believes in what I believe in. We're all going to get behind it, and we're all going to try and grow together and look after each other. And that protected environment that is about, have confidence in our belief, mm. have confidence in what we do. You may not have all the skills, but we'll get there. We'll mm. help you build them by bringing in a couple of experts who can then teach you what that skill is mm. but the biggest skill of actually is the ability to be a little bit tenacious you know have the confidence in your ability to do something and go after what you believe mm. and if i only teach that into my children then i've given them enough i think mm. i'm not going to say you're going to be great at maths or a great hockey player or mm. be able to swim like unlikely to swim because i can't <laughs> um i might be able to go down slides at the swimming pool but that's about it <laughs> it's about having those other attributes which most companies completely ignore. Mm. When you look at you know the interview, you know, go interview someone for a big company, it doesn't have anything about belief yeah. or confidence, mm. etc. It's like, what's your experience been? What what courses have you done? What education have you it? got? It's like yeah. I don't I don't care about any of that. Mm. I care about what you want to achieve mm. and whether you're aligned to what I want to achieve. Mm. Have you seen it done well? That yes. that picture of what yeah, Tarvis was just spoken absolutely. about. Absolutely. Um, and I think creating that um, sense of psychological safety within teams where you're all working towards a common purpose, having a fantastic vision that translates into people in terms of what they believe and that they can work towards and that makes sense for them in terms of their core values as a human being, uh, is that's where you're going to get the best kind of growth. And when you also care deeply about the growth of your talent and giving them that pathway into, um, you know, constantly enabling them to grow. Um, I think that I definitely saw that at Decoded. Mm. Um, we went through a big sort of change um, last year and leading the team through that was um, was a was a fantastic thing because bringing those people together, making the team tight, you know, everyone's got each other's backs and, and that sort of sense of trust and care. You cannot underestimate the impact of that as a leader and how that enables people to actually bring their best selves into work and actually create a problem, creatively problem solve and, um, and move the business in the direction that it needs to go. And I think absolutely what Tava was saying um, is all of those things together. And as a leader, creating that... Um, optimum environment for people is essential in terms of moving them through change well this chat's making me feel good that, that's for sure um final question i'm, I'm just going to ask you both a bit of a coaching question but as a result of this conversation today what's kind of what have have you reminded yourself of um, that, that perhaps has been in the background, but as a result of this chat has, has kind of reawakened a particular thing that you've discussed or spoken about. Tarver, is there anything today that, that kind of has allowed you to, to re-remember anything? Um, no, I, th I think, go back to wise people making good, simple statements. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Yeah. And everything I do in my life in at the moment you know and pretty much through my career is people have bought because i'm passionate about something and mm -hmm. my purpose yeah. my why Absolutely. my belief it doesn't matter what's behind it as in you know as simon sinek said who came up with mm -hmm. a quote you know apple could be selling 
DVRs, iPads, iPods, it doesn't matter. People believe in what that, that, mm. that the purpose of that organization. That that's what I think put companies forget. So I think people forget. Mm. Which is um have a strong belief, have a strong purpose, go after it, you'll be happier, you'll learn more, you'll get up in the morning and, you know, have have a feeling of, you know, you want to achieve something. And I think sometimes you just go after the what. Mm. You know what, you know, I spent a couple of years of my life I knew exactly what I did. I knew exactly how to do it and run the company. I had no idea why I was going to work. And I think just rediscovering that, everyone who goes to work, irrespective of the job, the industry, etc., uh, whether you're a sportsman, whether you're a you know a CEO, whether you're just someone, you know, middle management, it doesn't matter. It, whether you're a kid, have a purpose. Mm. Claire? Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, that Tava just mentioned, sort of reflecting on the conversation uh, and some of the stuff that you said, Tava, actually, um, looking at things from a really holistic, bigger picture perspective where you're hedging your bets on different aspects of change in the future, I think, has been the key takeout for me uh, around sort of that vision um, and trying new things and exploring lots of different avenues. Mm. Yeah. Scott, you, you've had a prime seat here during this chat. What have you, you? You've just been scribbling notes. I'm doing your really memoir. excited because I had this real. I knew it was going to finish with purpose. <laughs> I knew it was, and build a company that believes what I believe in. Yeah, yeah. That's Full stop. Hmm? Yeah. And one of the things that we try to help companies to do um, down to the deeper level of it starts with individuals as well as the mm. full team and the organization yeah um, I love it that it finished in that and I could go into all the 10,000 notes I've got <laughs> but <laughs> trust purpose um, getting in touch with your fears three things really coming out for me awesome well thank you guys so much for uh, joining us for this conversation it's been a, a wonderful kind of insight into both your minds but also your your passions and your purpose as well um, and and that kind of concludes another podcast for us so thanks again for for listening in um, we asked the question what does it take to win I'm not sure if we answered it but we answered a whole bunch of other questions <laughs> um, so uh, looking forward to uh, our next installment um, uh, in the meantime if you've got any questions, um, or anything that you want to drop in, uh, please uh, drop us a line and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks very much.